Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back to the pod. Yes, indeedy. We're still at it, friends. (laughs) We're still at it. We're still over Zoom. We're figuring it out. Exactly. One foot in front of the other, one day at a time. Sometimes one hour at a time. It's just the new... Yeah, one five minutes at a time. For reals. I know we always say this, but today's guest, we are really thrilled about. As she put it, there's just so much cross-section in so many different of the worlds that Amanda and I live in that she passes through so seamlessly. So Leah Moore is a teacher. I mean, she's received the coveted Teacher of the Year Award. Of course, I the one time I don't put my phone on silent, it goes off. Awesome. Thank you, phone. She was a 2009 recipient of the coveted Teacher of the Year Award, which is presented to 10 New York City teachers annually. And she just overall with her background as a teacher and teaching theater, adaptive theater to our nonverbal students and her own experiences just makes her like the well-rounded guest that we love to have. So Leah, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. So Leah, can you You're like the perfect combination guest for us to be able to like touch so many perspectives of our listeners. So we're so excited. Yes. I am your listener in every way. So. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about your background as a teacher and then a little bit about your personal life? Sure. Yes. So I've been teaching high school English for about 16 years, mostly in New York. Well, all in New York, um, New York City first and then in Westchester County. And I also teach high school theater. And about two years ago, I had the opportunity to teach what my high school calls the adaptive theater class. So this is for our students with the most significant special needs. Many of them are nonverbal. And I've had to learn a whole new way to approach a curriculum I I know and love. So I'm very passionate about storytelling and getting your voice heard, whether it's in a traditional general education classroom or a non-traditional theater or non-traditional special education theater class. And also, my husband's also a teacher, and nine years ago, we had our first child. Her name is Jordan, and she was diagnosed when she was 18 months old with a rare disorder. It's a chromosomal disability called Kretasha, the deletion of the fifth chromosome, and we were told she would never walk or talk, and good luck. Wow. Sent on our way. Yeah. And that experience has continued, like so many parents, to shape my understanding of what education looks like for her, what access, what inclusion looks like for her, what advocacy looks like for her. So many biases that I had to work through myself, what it meant to be a special needs mom. And then about five years ago, we had uh, twin boys. Oh my goodness. And yes, one of them also has special needs undiagnosed. We're probably looking at an ADHD situation. Lots of things. We thought the other one may have had cancer. They're both healthy, but it has been 
a decade of learning and regrouping and trying all the self-care things that everyone talks about. And all of that just uh, led me to want to help and advocate and write and connect to any other parents I could. Incredible. Quite a journey. Yeah, no, incredible. Yeah. And I think yeah. that, you know, it's courage, it's bravery to want to switch that narrative. Amanda and I, when we started this podcast, wanted to, you know, start the conversation, right? We have these conversations or we would have these conversations in our office all the time. And so instead of writing blogs, we were like, why don't we just start this podcast so we can talk to people? And what's great about this area of the law is that, you know, there's 13 different eligibility categories under the Individuals Disability and Education Act. And, you know, there's some catch-alls. So like other health impairment, a hundred things could fall under other health impairment, right? And so what we've been able to do through this podcast is to start those conversations and then keep them going. And what we loved about you is, you know, the resilience and wanting to be able to change that narrative. And I think I had seen the hashtag, hashtag explode the narrative. And Mm. I I wanted you to talk a little bit about that and your journey through that. Absolutely. So that started in my practice, probably when I was in grad school of just whose stories do we hear? Who gets to tell those stories? Mm -hmm. And that conversation is not just for disabilities. It's about race. It's about gender, sexuality. Mm -hmm. And that was just what interested me in in my work. I studied ethnographies a lot, the work of Anna DeVere Smith. It's just part of what my husband and I love. It was like part of our dates. And what I noticed, what I brought into my classroom is this concept of window and mirror texts. So it's this idea by Dr. Bishop, where a window text is where you can look into the life of someone else and learn about somebody else's story. And a mirror text is where you can hold up a text and see yourself reflected. And I teach it all the time. And it's part of the work I choose in my curriculum in my classroom. But yet when I had a daughter who had orthotics up to her legs and a walker and all of these different tools to help her gain the ability to walk. And I wanted to show her pictures of her in literature. There was nothing. And I live near massive bookstores and I went far and wide and I searched the internet and There's a lot about kindness and there's a lot about inclusivity, but there is not enough to help children with cognitive disabilities see themselves reflected in literature. Mm -hmm. And there's not enough for the parents to learn what that might look like. So I started my blog called Loving You Big to just model what it really looks like to be in my family, that stories about disabilities do not have to be sad, Mm -hmm. that we can be a silly everyday family. It's total, I call us loving chaotic. We're just a mess, (laughs) but we're, so is everybody else. Right. And that inspired me to want to write a memoir that was religious free. A lot of memoirs, special needs families use God as a tool for comfort And there's a lot of families out there that have different coping mechanisms. And I wanted to use humor and tell people that you can still be the person you were before you had these children and that your life is not sad. A diagnosis is not sad. And then Mm -hmm. just actually this week, I'm putting final details on a middle grade detective series that positions a child with a significant special, uh, excuse me, significant intellectual disabilities as one of the main characters. And that the novel is not about 
having special needs. It's just part of the plot. Right. Because there are gorgeous, gorgeous texts that are about having special needs, but that's the whole purpose. Right. And I still think it's separating. So I am on a mission and every age level possible to just keep exploding that narrative and say that these stories matter too. Oh, that's so important. I love that so much that we do need so many more books like that. My three month old, I've been exploring, like trying to get as many books as possible Mm -hmm. to expose him to, you know, different cultures and ethnicities and races and religions and just everything, right? I want to expose him as much as I can from the get-go through books. And you're right. There's so many books that call out different things rather than them just being characters and living their lives. So I think that's so important. Not not enough people think about that when they're creating their characters. Yes. And I think in doing so, sometimes when the story is just about the disability, it continues the implicit biases that we have so often Mm -hmm. that people actually learn about disabilities more through text than they do from real life interactions. And something that connects to your work is it's possible that in a school district, the children with the most significant needs could actually be in a different building or a different campus based on the type of community you live in. And Mm -hmm. that elementary school children won't meet those other children until about sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you guys remember sixth grade, but it's not the time you want to start meeting, (laughs) branching out, meeting new people. All you want to do is be like everyone else, right? Right. And that is not always the best, right? (laughs) Yeah. Right. So my thought is if we could get more books into the hands of children who don't get to meet kids with intellectual disabilities in real life, they can meet authentic representations of them in literature. And then when they meet them in real life, (laughs) they're not just polite but they're actually being inclusive because what I see is a lot of kids who are kindly invisible. No one's being mean for the most part, but they're not being included. Well, it's the awareness Mm -hmm. component is like the minimum, right? And what we strive for is going beyond the awareness, going beyond the acceptance to understanding, which is not an easy feat, but I think that exposure and anything that anybody ever wants to feel is included. And so much of the special education world is excluded just from everything. And I think that people, you know, President Joe Biden is the first in any speech to include the word, like blown away, right? When he won and he made a speech and, you know, that was months ago, but it's incredible to me because people don't understand that area of the law has really only gotten teeth since the 70s, which is 40 some odd years ago. And we know the law is slow, but sometimes people are slower to accept things, right? And so, you know, having guests like yourself and having these conversations was always at the forefront of Amanda and I's like mind because it's not just like, oh, hey, you know, look at us and we're doing all this great work. It's really to start the conversation so that you understand what you can be providing to your children outside of just the normal, you know, academics and and doing it like that socialization, that inclusivity. And I don't think a lot of people realize that 
characters on TV, maybe you'll see some with a physical disability. Uh-huh. I think the good doctor, I believe he's on the spectrum, but it's like this stereotypical, he's, you know, savant type of, you know, and it's just, yeah. yeah. So I think it's incredible. And having a children's book is just such an easy way and so digestible for anyone, not just children that you're aiming for. Yes, that's the goal. I just have to get the publishing industry to catch up because it's actually very hard to get these stories published because there's economic stories behind it. So, yeah. you know, um, Speechless was one of our favorite TV shows. It depicted oh, yeah. a boy uh, with CP mm-hmm. and it was hysterical. Mm-hmm. And it, I felt very seen, yeah. as my students would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. it was taken off because it wasn't making enough money. Mm-hmm. And I understand the economics behind stories, but I'm not settling for it. Right. So I'm learning and fighting for not only getting the story told, but also getting the story out there and making sure that it gets into the hands of people who need it. Because one of the biggest things is that when my daughter was born, I got a condolence card that said, but she's beautiful on the inside. Oh my God. And I know that it was meant sent with kindness and love because what do you say? And again, I don't mean when she was born, but she got her diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody knows what to say. Right. And part of it is because it's wrapped up in so much sorrow that people are saying, Oh my goodness, this child's diagnosis is going to be the defining factor for this family. And I think conversations like these and podcasts like yours and the work you're doing will keep saying that it does not have to be so sad. There are hard things, but there are hard things about being a parent in general. Yeah. And that we have to keep moving the needle to say part of what's hard is that we're not included, that you aren't playing with us on the playground and that we don't have any friends and we didn't know a lot of parents because we were so isolated. And that was part of what was hard. So I think it's this huge shift, which is a slow shift, but I'm happy to be a a part of it. I'm so curious to hear more. I mean, there's so much about your life and your work and everything that you've done that I want to know so much more about. But I was involved in theater when I was in high school. So I did all of the like costumes, makeup, stage, everything. And I'm so curious to learn more about your adaptive theater class. That's so interesting to me. Yes, it's such a source of joy especially during pandemic teaching it's yeah. challenging but it's such a source of joy so anyone who's interested in theater or just involved with theater there's something so beautiful about the art that you can play the other that storytelling has no right way of doing it mm-hmm. um, so this is a class i have a class of about 13 students and the key is repetition and they know what's coming. So at this point, they're the ones leading the warm up and the, conclu- the the final song. And even if they're, so my philosophy is everyone has a voice, even if you're not saying it out loud. So we might mm. start, today's class started with everyone had a bang on the table in some sort of rhythm and then everyone else repeated. And some students might need hand over hand or COVID friendly hand over oh. hand, <laughs> but they're all having an opportunity to have choice and voice in whichever way it looks like for them. And then I guide them through interactive storytelling. So we take, we're in a, we're in a winter unit. So we take some of people's beloved favorite stories and they have repetitive line or movement. So again, if they're nonverbal, they can even just moving their shoulders. It's very physical. And I 
guide them through a story, a narrated story. We do a lot of theater-based games that I just modify and making sure that there's differentiation of their readiness level. And I make sure that I'm paying very close attention to their interests. So one young lady wants to sing a song every day and I have to imitate it, but it's not a song that anyone would recognize. And it's not a song that's Mm -hmm. easy to imitate, but she feels very seen when we do that. And it's just very improv. I kind of just go with where they Mm -hmm. take me. And then we conclude every class with the best way we might have a discussion or a takeaway of the lesson or the theme of what we're working on. And then we do a closing activity. And it's just joyful. And at its core, it's what I think school should be about. Connection, storytelling, play. And these kids have no, they're just open. By the time they get 14 years old, a lot of kids are closed off to what they want to do. And this population of students just doesn't hold back. So yeah, that was kind of a big overview, but that's an example of what, you know, 40 minutes might look like. Oh, that just sounds like such a fun class. I'd love to like, just have a window into that class. Cause it sounds like it's just so much joy. That must be like so a good, like part of your day to be able to like, this is like the fun time of the day. <laughs> Not that other times aren't, but you know, yeah. There's levity. We were working on adapting a a show to do and actually use blocking and have stage manager and a script. It got interrupted because of the pandemic, but I'm eager to try that again. Yes, it's what I think schools need more of, which is that playfulness. We lose the art. And do you think that, you know, it sounds like natural, right, of just kind of following their lead and doing this, but... I've just noticed oftentimes I have one client in particular with Down syndrome and first grade and yes, it's pandemic time, but it's like the teacher and she has the training, but it's like, and I understand she may be overwhelmed, but like simple modifications, she's just like not doing. And I see this time and time again, not just for this particular student, but they see a label of what the child is and then they just kind of give up. And we've seen this time and time again. I'm not just talking about that specific student, but it's heartbreaking because if they didn't take it, like, and I don't know, maybe they were burned in the past. Maybe attorneys were involved in the past and like, you know, but it's the fun is taken away. It's like all of a sudden they don't know what to do. And it's like, you have the tools. And that's why we fight for general inclusion because the child typically learns more from their peers. And we're not having this high expectation of academics and they're going to get it right away. But it's more for the social emotional and just that acceptance, even from the children that do not have a learning difficulty. And so I wonder, you know, Was it really, it sounds like this was always kind of something that you were interested in. And then obviously you had your daughter, but did it come naturally to you? Did you kind of research it? I mean, you've already said with the stories, you couldn't find stories, but were you finding other teachers that were just kind of thinking outside the box? What were your inspirations? Just so that I could, I know a lot of teachers listen, so I want to kind of reinvigorate them. So there is a huge hole in teaching theater for cognitive disabilities. Mm -hmm. In general, Mm -hmm. cognitive disabilities, we have some more work to do because a physical disability, you can make some physical modifications, but the student might be able, based on the disability, to engage at that higher order thinking. I was at such a loss to teach this class. 
I asked to teach it. I desperately wanted to teach it. I cried when they assigned it to me. I mean, it was like all of my life's passion. But here I am in a house with a, my husband's a theater teacher. I think he's brilliant. And I was like, I don't know what to teach. And I researched and I went online and there's, it, there's nothing. There's a few things, but yeah. not enough to fill a year. Right, right. And what I needed to do was to get in the space and trial and error yeah. and give myself permission yes. to not be excellent. And yeah. I learned recently, I love this saying, and I think it's so good for so many teachers, that in your life where you can say, I don't know, is places where you have confidence. Mm. And it really stuck with me because as a teacher, I'm very comfortable saying, I don't know, what, what should we do? And yet as a special needs mother, I was like, oh, we're going to fix this because I couldn't say, I don't know, because then somebody would think, I don't know what I was doing. And I just merged those two worlds and gave myself permission to say, I really don't know what this class is going to need because the population is going to change year to year who's in the class right, changes right, and I need yeah. to teach the kids in front of me. Right. So to answer your question, I'm getting better at looking at what is out there and figuring out how to modify it for my students. Yes. And the pattern and repetition is the key. Whereas I thought they would be bored. We have sung the same song every single day since September. And if I forget to sing it, they're like, well, the song. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? It yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's about changing my expectations. And that's why I really, for people listening, that concept of choice and voice, that there's a student in front of me who is nonverbal. He mm -hmm. is in the corner. Mm -hmm. He may not even be in the right academic setting. We're still working on that. But yet I'm going to hold up two things in front of him and I'm going to wait till he decides which one he wants because everyone has ability to have a decision. And so many of these children, we make those decisions for them yep. because we want mm -hmm. to move faster right. because we have to finish the lesson because right. there's all these other kids waiting. Yep. And that is a huge piece, which I've also taken home of just let things take the time that they take and that's okay. So I might need to write that curriculum too. I'm going to put it on I, my writing list. I mean, please do, because <laughs> I think it works on so many different levels, right? We live in this fast paced American culture and we're all going to, and for what, right? Anything that anybody really wants is that sense of connection. And what I would hope that this pandemic has helped with is a reset of that. We've dealt with clients that are still having the expectations of what an academic school year should look like. And mm -hmm. that's been difficult. I think yes. as the pandemic went on, and it drags on that, you know, it has subsided a bit. But I think just with what you were saying of it's okay to take your time, you know, uh -huh. especially with these kiddos, because you're not going to know all the answers. Right. There's just no way. You right. may have this kid just for a year and they really open up after six months, right? But then right. you use that time, the remaining time that you have with them to see where you can go with that. And that just warms my heart. <laughs> yeah. So I um, keep talking because that's what I am paid to do. Just kidding. We don't get paid to do this. This is out of the goodness of our hearts. Just in terms of, you know, any kind of advice or just, I, you already shared such a great quote that I think works for parents and for teachers, but is there anything else that we haven't kind of touched on that you would like parents to know either about your personal journey or about your journey as a teacher in adaptive and teaching adaptive theater? On a personal journey as a parent, 
I like to say to parents that you're not made of machine parts, that all parents, especially in the season of having younger kids, there's just so many expectations upon us. I need to take this advice myself. I think the self-care work is impossible and really hard. And some of it is just sort of talk and some of it is really real. And I think parents need to give themselves permission to make a mess of things and to leave the shame and the guilt behind that your child is loved and your child is safe and that you are doing the best you can. I just wrote a piece that one of the best pieces of advice I got was that my daughter, by the time she was, I guess, two, had over 20 hours of therapy a week to help her achieve her goals. And the family trainer that came with early intervention said, your job is to be her mother. You don't need to be another speech therapist. You don't need to be another OTPT feeding therapist, ABA therapist. I mean, the list goes on and on. But the educator in me, whereas I'm learning the type A personality (laughs) that I am, thought I could help, you know, Mm. instead of doing tummy time, I could work on her sitting up and I could push her a little bit more. And that was sort of the machine part that I was just pushing everyone ahead. Like we, there's no time to feel, there's no time for emotion. We got to hit our next milestone. And being in the classroom with a population of students like my child, who is not my child, helps me to see just how beautiful this process is because I have less at stake, I guess, but they all have parents doing the same thing. And it's given me this really lovely perspective to be kinder to myself. And even now when my daughter doesn't want to get on Zoom, but she's happy to talk to me about her Disney character for the 400th time, that's what we're going to work on. That's what we're going to do because that perseveration means something to her. And that I am not failing as a mother because we did not achieve X, Y, and Z of the day. That my job is to still be her mother. So I think that would be my biggest piece of advice (laughs) from both sides is just having that kindness towards yourself and that it's okay to hide in the bathroom too. Yeah. I do that. I think that piece of advice as we're ending probably the toughest year that most people have dealt with and We don't know if 2021 is going to bring something different or not. So I think that's great for everyone to kind of take to heart. What is her favorite Disney character at this time? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. It's Jasmine. Ooh, okay. And Maleficent. But the fun fact about my daughter is she doesn't actually ever watch any of the movies. Oh, okay. (laughs) She just talks about the characters. That's hilarious. All the time. Yeah. The Disney Descendants is a hot topic oh, right? for her. She spent a okay. year yeah, asking people who Mal's dad was That's and who the president was when they were born. <laughs> and then she combined those. So, you know, she chooses her topic of the yeah. year and then she just repeats yeah. it. Because now she is verbal in her own way. So we just celebrate whatever comes out of her mouth. It's amazing. That is amazing. Okay. And instead of having the expectation that she needed to be X, Y, Z, you're just like loving it. Yeah. And that is, I think. I'm so happy talking about Jasmine. Right. Right. a thousand times a day. Right. And I always hated when people were like, just be in the moment, just be in the moment. I'm like, what does that mean? And after <laughs> lots of meditation and exploring that, it's really just, you know, enjoying that, right? right. This is what we're talking about and not the zillion other things that are going to pop in there. But you just kind of let them float away and just enjoy, like you said, us talking about Jasmine for the 400th time this year. So Yeah, and I hear this a lot with special needs parents, but when you're told your child won't, 
it's much easier to celebrate the cans. And I think I see this with my neurotypical son. Sometimes I like forget to relish the gorgeous thing he just said too. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, I knew you were going to say something <laughs> like that. But when my daughter says something I'm like, you were never supposed to say anything. There's just that extra sparkle to it. And I think that's important for all parents to remember, you know, you don't take your kids and their milestones for granted. Absolutely. And I think just the undercurrent of that is to continue to be an advocate for your child, because as mothers and as dads, too, I think mothers have the stronger of the instinct. If you know something is wrong, you stand up and say something. And it's really incredible because I feel, you know, that intuition for something that you created is stronger than even something that you should be advocating for yourself, right? And so when you're talking about the self-care, yes, it is difficult, but in the quote that I always think of is, you have to put on the oxygen mask first before yeah. you can help someone else. And a lot of people have asked me, like, how did you have time to write? Your life seems a little busy. Yeah. And my answer is, I'm not doing it for me. The writing isn't for me. I haven't exercised as much as I'd like to because that is just for me. Right. But writing seems like it's, I'm doing it for my daughter. I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it for my students. And I've learned that that's what I needed to get me moving. Yeah. I'd like to be able to do more things for myself as well. But I think if someone's listening and thinking, I wish I could do more, that advocacy piece, that inner mama bear. Mm -hmm. I found mine the first time someone scoffed at my child at dance class. She just like, my mama bear came out in a way that I did not know she existed. (laughs) And that sometimes we need that anger. We need that moment to say, what can I do so I don't feel so helpless or I don't feel so out of control of all these things happening. And actually, if I were to look back on it, I started writing when I thought my son had leukemia, when my other son, we thought maybe needed brain surgery. And when my daughter was in the middle of whatever therapy she was in, like this really, really low point, right? There was a death in our family. I mean, it was horrific in every way. And that's what started the writing, which they always say good things, right, can come out of terrible things. Yeah. And I feel like that's the second time I've heard that today. And not to downplay and always try to find a silver lining. I don't think that's what we're doing. But I think it's the resiliency of just being a human um, has been astounding to me and really actually acknowledging that just as we've passed through this global pandemic, right? It did not just affect us as Americans, it affected the globe and some of the saddest and lowest lows, but also it's okay to see those high highs during that time. And I think Uh that for you, the writing really kind of called to you and I'm sure helped process. That sounds like the most chaotic time to start writing, but you needed that. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, it was, it was therapy. Exactly. You know, by nature, I'm pretty upbeat and positive, but not to a point where I lose sense of reality. And I agree with you with the pandemic. I mean, this year has been horrific and looking for those little glimpses are really important. I'm still looking for some, (laughs) but yeah. You know, the year's not quite over, yeah. so there might yeah. be some more. But I do think that's important that it's not all awful, even when on paper it looks like it, it is. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. your website again is lovingyoubig.com. Where else can people kind of, is that the main place that they can kind of reach you and get more information from you? 
Yeah, lovingyoubake.com. And I have a parenting spotlight series where I love to support other people who want to tell their story. So if you email me, I will share your story and celebrate your children and help you write your own story if that's not your thing with words. And then I'm also on Instagram at loving you big and not very good at Twitter. (laughs) And I'm also on Facebook, but loving you big is where you find me. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on to our podcast and just being just the fresher breath air that we so need during these times. And thank you for your advocacy and just sharing your journey. I think that oftentimes does not shine through as brightly as it could for some people and some writers and some teachers. And so I'm really grateful just as a fellow mother for your (laughs) transparency and vulnerability. And I'm sure Amanda feels the same way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Thank you for the work you're doing. I know it trickles down to everyone. So I come from a family of lawyers. So I appreciate and respect the work. So thank you very much. They were good ones. Good, good, good. good (laughs) We get a bad rap as attorneys sometimes. But (laughs) thank you so much for coming on. And again, another one in the books. Amanda, we did it. We got through another one. Just kidding. We did it. We did it. I know. I long for our in-person days one day soon. But thank you guys again for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.